Good morning, everybody. I invite you to stand as we read our scripture this morning. Our scripture comes from St. Matthew's Gospel. We are reading today Matthew 9, beginning at the ninth verse. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then we go on to verse 18. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd, people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. This is the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Lord Jesus, we come before you today. Thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a true savior, a savior of people like me, sinners, of people who are just like those gathered here today, sinners in need of a true savior. We thank you, Lord. And Lord, I I pray that as we are instructed in your word this morning, that you would open our ears, open our hearts to receive this word today. I pray that you will make us alive again in the truth of the gospel, and that when we leave this place, we would go as your servants, living according to everything you've commanded us. So we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for all you've done for us. And it's in his name we pray, to your glory and to your honor. Amen. There are many in this world that believe they don't have a problem. Many in this world who believe they don't need a savior. There are many in this world who believe they don't need Jesus. They believe they're just fine, that everything's okay without the Lord. But we who are gathered here today, we recognize our need. We recognize that we are people in need of a Savior. We recognize that we are a people who cannot make it in this life, and we certainly cannot make it in eternity apart from Jesus coming to us and being our Savior. The Pharisees were those who didn't recognize their need for a Savior. They believed that they could save themselves. They believed that through their own good works of righteousness, that they had the ability to save themselves, to take care of their sin problem, and to make their relationship right with God by their own good works. 
See, these Pharisees believed that they had a goodness within them that was able to save. And then they would look down on others. They would look down on people who weren't as righteous as they thought they were. They would look their nose down at sinners. People like Matthew, a tax collector. Like the woman with the issue of blood. These Pharisees looked down upon those that did not live the upright and the holy life that the Pharisees believed that they should be living. See, these Pharisees, they had a self-righteous, holier-than-thou attitude towards sinners. They said, look at me, look at how good I am, and they would look down upon others. But not Jesus. Jesus didn't live that way. Jesus loved sinners. More than that, Jesus adored sinners. Jesus was a friend of sinners. In confirmation class a couple of weeks ago, I asked the class, does Jesus love you? And they say, yes, he loves us. Then I asked the question, does he like you? And they said, probably not. (laughs) Jesus not only loves you, he adores you. And he wants to be your friend. Now, does he love everything that we do? No. But he loves you. Does he like everything that you do? No, but he likes you. He adores you. He is your friend today. So Jesus was a friend of sinners. And the Pharisees were offended at Jesus because Jesus associated with tax collectors and sinful people. In other words, Jesus hung out with sinful people. The scriptures actually say that, the, that many claimed or, or, or accused Jesus of being a glutton and a drunkard because of those that he associated with. A friend of sinners. He was a friend of Matthew. Matthew. Many of us probably have a high view of Matthew. Why? Because Matthew wrote one of the four Gospels, the first Gospel in the New Testament. But Matthew, he was a tax collector. Matthew was considered a traitor of his fellow Jews. Tax collectors in Jesus' day had joined league with the despised Romans. The the, the Jewish people in Palestine at that time lived under Roman occupation. And many Jewish people worked for the Romans by collecting taxes for Caesar. And then they would not only collect taxes for Caesar, they also worked on commission. In other words, the more taxes they collected, the more money they made. And oftentimes they cheated the system. The system was very corrupt. So here you have Jewish tax collectors collecting taxes from the Romans, from their fellow countrymen... Not only doing that, but also cheating the system and getting rich off the backs of their fellow Jews. Tax collectors had a bad name because they were wealthy. And they became wealthy in a very corrupt and immoral way. And they lived immoral lives. And then we go to our gospel lesson today and who does Jesus call to follow him? Who does Jesus call into the ministry? 
He doesn't call a single Pharisee. Jesus called a man named Matthew in his tax collector booth, and he says, come follow me. And Matthew follows Jesus. That word, follow, has a much deeper meaning than just following. It actually means to become a student under, to become one who is a disciple of. So Matthew left his tax collector's booth to follow Jesus. Matthew, the tax collector, this was scandalous. And then after Jesus called Matthew, Matthew threw a party. And Matthew invited his friends to the party. And Jesus attended the party. Matthew's friends were not the church-going type. Many of the people who Matthew invited, if we saw them walk in here, we would probably, you know, who is that person? Wonder, why is that person here in church? See, Matthew's friends were well-known sinners. Jesus hung out with people that would never be welcomed at the church potluck. Jesus hung out with the tavern, the casino, and even the brothel types of people. Jesus hung out with people who were desperately in need of a Savior. And Jesus adored these people. He didn't love the sin, but he loved the person. And Jesus knew that these people were bound by sin. That it was only through the good news of the gospel that they would be free. He loves sinners. He loves you. Why didn't Jesus hang out with the religious folks? Why didn't he hang out with uh, the people who, who tend to go to church? Well, I'm sure he did to some extent, but I'm guessing Jesus didn't hang out with the religious folks because they thought they didn't need a Savior. And people who believe they don't need a sinner are not going to welcome the Savior. You see, he, he only comes to those who recognize their need for salvation, their need for a Savior. Jesus doesn't force himself upon you. He doesn't. He doesn't force himself upon you to be your Savior. You can reject him, like the Pharisees rejected him. You are free to say no to Jesus. Today you can say no to him. He doesn't force his friendship upon you. But I urge you today, do not say no to Jesus. See yourself as one who is in need of a Savior. You see, many people reject Jesus today because they don't see their need for him. And and I believe there really is a danger in being a good, obedient person. And that danger is is that you depend upon your own effort to save you. When you're so good at being good, you begin to deceive yourself into believing that you really don't need the Savior. You see, obedient, upright, and moral people are tempted to save themselves by their own good works. But how foolish! How arrogant! 
That's like staying on a sinking ship. Who in their right mind when the Titanic struck that iceberg thought, well, I can save this ship. Even the engineer of the Titanic, when he realized the extent of the damage, he said there's no way the ship can be saved and the captain gave the order to evacuate. But for us to try to save ourselves through our own good works is like trying, is like being aboard the Titanic and the signal, I can bail all this water out. It's tens of thousands of gallons of water, ice cold, deadly water are entering into the hole, hole of the ship. You see, I need to realize that I have a problem. I need Jesus. And many pious Jews had mastered outward obedience. When people looked at the average Pharisee, they would see a man who appeared to live an upright and godly life. They didn't see the deep corruption of sin that rots on the inside. I hope each and every one of you see the sin on the inside, though you have managed to make yourself look like a wonderful person on the outside. We present ourselves so well within society, especially as those who call ourselves Christians. Don't deceive yourself for a second that the outward piety covers the inward rot of sin. Alex, I have a passage from Matthew chapter 23. And there, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. He says you're like whitewashed tombs, which look very beautiful on the outside. But on the inside are what? Full of the bones of the dead and everything that is unclean. And the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Mm. They look good on the outside, but on the inside they had no life. On the inside they were dead, rotting corpses. Pharisees had a big problem, a big spiritual problem. And their self-righteousness served as a type of false veneer, which covered up what was really on the inside of them. So I ask the question, who are you? Who are you? Do you use your outward godliness as a false veneer to keep you from repenting and trusting in Jesus as your Savior? Do you say, I'm I'm not all that bad? At least I'm not as sinful as that traitor Matthew. At least I don't visit the brothel or spend my life in drunkenness. You say, I really don't need a, a Savior. See, this is the big problem in my life. Those of us who are good at being good are also good at not sensing our need for Jesus. I need to look deep inside and see the smell of the rot of my sinful flesh. This is why I'm so grateful when the Holy Spirit brings me under the deep conviction of sin. We ought to be thankful to God when he reveals how sinful we are in his word. That is such a good thing, to hear God's law 
and to see ourselves as sinners in the law of God. We ought to be those who pray Psalm 139. And Alyssa, we have Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. So search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Listen to what he says. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Church, pray that prayer. Make this a part of your daily walk with Jesus. Say, Lord, reveal to me the areas in my life in which I need to repent. Jesus said in Matthew 9, 12, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So we pray, Lord, help me to realize I am a poor, sick sinner in need of your healing grace in my life. Lord, I need you to take my dead, rotting corpse and to make it live again. And the good news is is that Jesus does heal our sin. He heals our sin-sick heart. And he makes the dead live again. He is the God of resurrection. And this is why Jesus called Matthew. Jesus doesn't call self-righteous Pharisees. He calls those that know they need a Savior. He is a Savior. You see, if my obedience to the commandments could save me, if I could save myself through being good, then why in the world did Jesus come and die? The commandments cannot save. Certainly the commandments and obedience to the commandments are good. They're good because they teach us God's good way of life. The commandments are good because they curb sin. They show us our sin and they guide us in holy living. But the commandments will never bring about salvation from sin. The commandments cannot make us alive. Actually, in Romans 7, we read from Paul that the commandments kill. The commandments kill when I see my sinfulness. The commandments kill when I do not follow its guidance. Romans 7, 10 through 12. The Apostle Paul wrote, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. And this is where the Pharisees were at. They followed the law meticulously. But it didn't bring about righteousness. It only brought death. For Paul says for sin, and remember Paul was a Pharisee. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. And through the commandment did what? Put me to death. So then... The law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So one of the reasons the law is good is that it puts us to death. That's a good thing. When I hear the commandment, I sense that guilt. I said, Lord, I have no hope apart from you. I am nothing but a miserable, even dead sinner. And being put to death by the commandment is good because then we are the perfect candidate for resurrection. Did you know that you're not a a, a candidate for resurrection if you're still alive? Only the dead can be raised. 
And thanks be to God, through the law, we realize that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. The ultimate goal of salvation is your resurrection from death to life. Matthew knew he was a sinner. Those that gathered in Matthew's house, they, many of them probably knew that they were sinners. They knew that they didn't have a chance with God. The commandments had come to them and made them aware of their wretched condition. And I too am a sinner in need of a Savior, and the commandments can't save me. They only condemn me to death. Only the gospel of our Savior Jesus Christ can bring to us the forgiveness of sins, healing of our sin-sick hearts, and resurrection life to our rotting flesh. Then when I receive the forgiveness, healing, and new life in Jesus, then and only then do the commandments become a pathway of joy. I must be made alive by grace before I can walk in obedience before I can walk in joy, before I can walk in a way that's pleasing to God. And that's what the gospel does. The gospel has made you alive. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. By grace, you can now live a life that is holy and pleasing to Him. But never put the cart before the horse. Never believe for a second that, that, the, that obedience to the law is what's going to save you. That's like trying to pull a horse with a cart. Jesus is the one who motivates obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit in his grace. Our true Savior reached out to Matthew. And the sinners gathered at Matthew's home, despised tax collectors, drunkards, notorious sinners. And by hearing the good news, we know at least Matthew, the sinful tax collector, was made alive in Christ and made a disciple to follow Jesus. Then we come quickly to another person who is the synagogue ruler. Now, th this man was, was a man of the law. He was a ruler within the, the synagogue, within the local religious community. But he found himself in need of a savior. His daughter was dead. And this religious leader who followed the law understood that the teachings of the commandments expounded ad nauseum in the synagogue would never make his daughter live again. He knew that what he possessed in the law could not bring about resurrection. So he found himself in need of a savior. He was desperate for a different word. And the desperation is real. I've been with people who've lost children. The agony is horrific. I've been with parents who've lost babies. Toddlers, children, teenagers, and adult children. Doesn't matter the age of the child, whether they're young or adults. When a parent loses a child, it is the most agonizing thing that a person can experience. Parents should never, ever bury their children. 
And I, I have never stood with a, with a grieving parent and gave them a commandment or gave them a law. A rule to follow. When I've stood with grieving parents, I give them the promise of Jesus. That Jesus died. And Jesus was raised. And the resurrection hope that Jesus gives is yours today. I can't, I can't make it better, but I can bring them to the word of the gospel. And by means of the gospel, I have witnessed the life of Jesus flourish in the midst of unspeakable grief. I've seen it. The gospel works. It gives joy and peace to grieving hearts. It even brings life and meaning and purpose in the aftermath of horrific death. And for the synagogue ruler who had come to the end of the usefulness of the law, he finds himself at the mercy of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He does what only the gospel can do. He speaks. He speaks life. And the girl is raised from the dead. Every time I read about Jesus raising people, I feel bad. You know who I feel bad for when Jesus raised the dead? I feel bad for the person who was resurrected. I think about it, what a raw deal. Because to, to die is to be present with Christ. <laughs> I have a, a little favor. You know, one day I may die. And if I die, please don't pray for my resurrection. I'm with Jesus. And I want to stay with Jesus. I know all of you, you, you love me. And you're going to be sad that I'm gone. But know that when I go, I truly am in a better place. So I really feel bad for Lazarus. Man, Lazarus was given the, the greatest gift of all. Then all of a sudden, he's called out of the tomb. <laughs> but know this, that Jesus has resurrected you. You are a resurrection person. And to reveal to him, to, to us and to the world, as victor over death, Jesus raised a little girl from her deathbed. He, he raised Lazarus uh, from the dead. He raised people from the dead uh, to prove that he is God in human flesh. He is the victor over sin, death, and hell. And then we have the woman who touched the hem of Jesus' garment. Then Jesus was the savior to a woman who had been suffering with a chronic Minstrel bleeding for 12 years. And did you know that because of her condition, the law condemned her? The Old Testament law declared those uh, who have an issue of bleeding as those who are given the label of unclean. So for 12 years she carried this label, unclean. Because of her issue of bleeding. 
She couldn't enter the Jewish place of worship. In other words, the law could not bring her back into fellowship with God. But a greater reality entered into her life, the reality of a Savior who graciously heals the unclean. It wasn't a commandment that brought her healing. She reached out to the Savior. She touched the hem of His garment. And she was made clean. And she was free of the condemnation of the law which labeled her unclean, unfit, unworthy to enter into the place of worship. Do you recognize your need for a Savior today? And do you recognize Jesus as the only Savior? Have you been brought to believe that you need Him? If you have, I have good news for you. Jesus welcomes you as a friend. He has raised you from death to life. He has washed away everything unclean. When he looks at you, he doesn't see sin, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. He loves you. He adores you. He is your friend. Let us pray to him today. Let us lift our hearts to him in praise and in adoration. Let us lift our hearts to him not only in our singing, but in our living. That we would live today for the one who lived and died for us. All to his glory and to his honor alone. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we would see ourselves as those who are sinners in need of a Savior. That a simple childlike faith believing that you went to the cross, you died for us to take away our sins. You rose again to give us new life today and for eternity. Lord Jesus, if any are here today who have hardened their heart, Lord, I pray that you would soften hearts today. You would cause us through soft hearts that are pliable to you to experience this grace and to live in the joy that you've prepared for us in obedience to you in freedom, knowing that your way is the best way. Not following you in obedience because we're trying to earn it, but because you're leading us, Lord. We become your disciples, and that just simply means living in the joy and the freedom that you give to us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. And all of God's children say, Amen.